Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it. 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all. We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? like the the culture is very snooty and exclusive and that kind of stuff is tiresome yeah I there's a the culture right so the culture around skiing is is pretty hoity-toity I mean if you think about it it's like people are choosing to put two strips of wood on one foot in each strip and go down snow it's very, it's, it's just something you definitely choose to do. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. It's a choice. It's a choice. So where, when you were, was it your, I'm guessing it was your dad that was a skier. So uh, we had family friends that were like, and we only did, we only did cross country skiing, but, okay. but like, and my sister now and her family, they do some downhill skiing, but it was, so it was more, it was the culture around downhill skiing is so different than cross country is dorky and downhill is like, cool. Right. So, right, right. but we, but I know the schlepping of the gear and the, uh, and the, this, but the culture is so different. Like it's really sort of a ragtag group that cross country ski versus downhill skiing. Uh, see, I could see myself doing the cross country because it's kind of like hiking, but just on skis, yeah, right? Yeah, it's a great yeah. workout. It's a great workout. And it's also you get to see see the forest and see see places. But it's it's definitely kids are like, no, we want to go downhill <laughs> skiing. Like, what are you talking about? But did you want to do that when you were a kid? I was dragged into skiing and then I grew to like cross country skiing. And I never have been downhill skiing. Okay. But um, I was just saying, like, did were you one of the people who said to your parents, like, can we try downhill? Skiing? I think my sister might have. She was cooler in that way. I just didn't want it. I think I wanted to go ice skating. I wanted to. I did not. I did not say, hey, let's try cross country skiing. But I definitely liked I, I, like my friends that went to like Vail for spring break or Christmas oh, wow, break yeah. mm-hmm. from Evanston. They went to Vail. They went to Aspen. They went to, you know, I was jealous of that scene, but I think I was scared shitless to downhill ski. It's hard as hell, right? Yeah. I mean, it looks really hard. It looks really hard. So when I was in sixth grade, um, we moved to a place where I was going to be in a different zone for my school district. Um, and so I did sixth grade in a different school than I had done first or kindergarten through fifth, which meant that I, and all those kids had been at that same school since kindergarten. So it just meant that I didn't know any of those kids and it was a rich school. (laughs) And one day I just remember them being like, so next week there's no school because it's ski week. And I probably just thought, I don't know. I don't know what I thought. So I went home on Friday and I said to my mom, there's no school next week. And she said, what? It's not because it was February or March. Was It was too early for spring break. She's like, it's not spring break. I said, I, it's ski week. And she goes, no, that's, that's not a thing. I said, mom, that's what all the kids are doing. They're all going skiing. And she said, 
for a whole week. <laughs> I mean, we just had this back and forth because, of course, she was a single mom, like had to make had to like quick work, make, right? Yeah, just one of the many things. That, and you know, when we were there at this place, um, there was many a nanny with the younger kids, so you know that they paid to bring the nanny. It just wow, it's just a whole thing, and I I don't I'm not knocking it because I think if you can afford it and you like it, I think that's great. But it's just, I guess it's sort of still weird to me that 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 there's just these rarefied pockets. Yeah. It's, it's nothing just... has, I think that the, um, yeah, that it hasn't changed. Like we've changed in some ways, but then there are these pockets of real classist sort of, um, yeah. and look, like good people downhill ski. I'm not saying that, that <laughs> but the culture is one of, yeah. Um, you know, elite, it's elite. It's like skiing is not a thing. Like I, like we said before that you have to do like walking, right. you know, right. so like hiking, uh, you have to kind of walk so you can, anyone can kind of hike, but skiing is a whole, you have to buy a lot of apparatus and a lot yes. of equipment yes. and, or rent. And I remember my sister saying she took her, I think she took me and went, I forget, but it was like $200 a person just to get in the... Oh, just to the lift. Oh, yeah. And that's not counting uh, where, you know, if you have to stay overnight, all the, you, you have to buy not only the skis and the boots and the poles, we rented them, but, you know, you, you, we have to pay to rent them too, um, but also the pants and the jacket and the goggles and the, I mean, it's, but... Uh, I will say it's very adorable that my seven-year-old is like, like a great, you know, she's a great skier. Look, that's cool. That is, it is cool. I think it is cool too. And the thing I was saying to my husband is, you know, because I have the same sort of feeling about tennis and we haven't done golf, but I'm sure that's in our future. And I said, you know, I, I, I'm disconnected from these sports because I didn't grow up with them. But at the same time, I think what a gift we're giving them because a lot of industries, including our industry, uh, a lot of business happens on the tennis court, on the ski slopes, on the golf course, and they're going to be, they're going to know how to do all the, all of those things. Yeah. And I think just on a base level, like Gina, the, um, the athleticism is important. Even it's, it's hard. I wish I had, I think I would have had a better relationship with my body. Had my family done more outdoor activities. We did. I mean, we, we, we did some, but like it wasn't encouraged as a family. We, we, when we were younger, we did, but like we weren't a real active family in that way. And I think that's a lot of eighties, nineties sort of sit in front of the television, Mm -hmm. but I wish I had done more of that. Like I, me too. Or been forced to or something. I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I just yeah, yeah. no, be, being forced to or being forced to take music lessons. I mean, there's all kinds of things that yes, we would have probably railed against them as kids, but wouldn't you love to be this age and be like, I haven't done it a long time, but I know how to play tennis. I haven't done it a long time, but I know how to play the piano. Just all of these things that help to make you a more well-rounded person. And help you get jobs like in life. Like people, Mm -hmm. now what I'm, you know, people are really going for that sort of, well, they say, and I think they are well-rounded humans. Like, oh, you don't just do this. Like, like we Mm -hmm. talked to someone, you know, a hyphenate person, a multi-hyphenate person. They're like, yeah, I play tennis. Yeah. And or, Mm -hmm. or, um, 
I think it also just, and everyone has always said this, but it helps with self-esteem. The more activities yeah. that you feel like you you know how to do, the more you're like, yeah, I can handle this life. I know things. Yeah. And it's also kind of this thing about like when, 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 when areas of life are not closed off to you, you know, because when you don't have a great variety of uh, things that you learn how to do outside of just going to school or whatever, you end up feeling like a lot of life is not available to you. And I know it is if I really wanted to learn how to do these things, I could. I just feel like I missed my window for those things. And it does it does serve to make me feel on the outside. Did you write while you were away? I wrote the blog post. I yeah. edited the episode and I did something else too. That's I enough. I mean, look. Yeah. 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 I, I was trying to write a play for cool. my group, a short play for my group. Um, and I didn't, you know, it was like, I kept trying to make an idea that wasn't that strong work and it just wasn't working. Sorry. And sometimes it just doesn't like, I was thinking too, like, just because it's funny with writing, I think anyway, I don't know how you feel about this, but just because you have the time doesn't actually mean that something good's going to come out. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And sometimes when you don't have time, something good comes out. Like I, I just wrote that. Well, yes. something interesting. Yeah, I just no, wrote that I, little I like thing. That. Yeah. And I was like, I was so mad because I was thinking about, how I, I don't know I just got mad thinking about how um right um the plus size world is such a weird world and we've talked a little bit about how you know plus being a bigger human in this life and and bigger means so many things to, to, mm -hmm. to so many people mm -hmm. like I'm I'm reading all these posts of people that are qualifying for the vaccine because they are obese and they're not they don't quote look obese but they're BMI mm. and so they get mm. the vaccine and and other people are like well you know the the comments are, are like you don't look fat why how can you get the vaccine you don't look fat and it's like well, first of all BMI is a little crazy second mm -hmm. of all be quiet third of all yeah. just we need to get the vaccine and that's gross. And yeah. you know that this is, but anyway, the point is I got really mad about this sort of idea of like, you know, what, what is plus size? What is, um, who qualifies as that? And then I wrote this thing about this woman who just is sick of this shapewear. Cause I thought about, and I like shapewear. Like I wear it on, on sets. Mm -hmm. It feels kind of nice at a point, but it, it's like, at what point does it become like a prison shapewear, you know? Space? Yeah. Yes. And I just couldn't take it. I just thought, what if it was to the extreme? And some people must wear tons of it, right? Like they have, yeah. right? Yes. And even I, what I feel like I've heard of before is quite thin people wearing multiple sets. It's fat. It's very sad. It's all very sad. And, and the idea that like you literally, so when I was on Empire, I was on the show Empire. I had like, I had literally one line, right? But they, I was in scrubs and they put me in shapewear. Like why in scrubs? Mm -hmm, but oh, okay, mm -hmm. so shapewear. They said you could wear your own, and I had some. But the kind I had had metal ribbing, and yes, metal, yes, oh so like metal boning mm -hmm, to wow. keep it up and to keep it in to keep everything sucked in. But the problem was, this is crazy. So it, you know, how sets are. They're so long, and I was on there for twelve hours, and the metal started coming out of the casing of the, and it started stabbing oh. me. 
And oh. I literally couldn't sit down because you can't go in half when you have the ribbing on. So I'm standing, trying not to. And everyone's like, do you want a seat? I'm like literally embarrassed because I can't say I cannot sit down because of the shapewear. And I I brought my own. So it was my, my shapewear. Right. I hadn't tried it on. I hadn't done the – anyway, I had a gash in my stomach. From the shapewear when I got home that I had to tend to a wound with, like a wound care for it. And I just, I was thinking about that and I got so mad and I thought, who cares? I have a one line. And she was like, you're going to wear shapewear, right? And I was like, oh, sure. You know, okay. Because I just really wanted to please the costume designer. But it was, it's like a scrubs. I played a nurse. Who cared? I had one line, blah, blah, blah. You're the doctor will see you now. You know, that was my line. And I had to do that. Anyway, I was very, it, it was like a gash like you can't see but like half an inch you know that's, that's insane like, yeah that's so completely insane that got me thinking about that yeah yeah I, but anyway, about- hey let me run this by you still kind of emotional you know you ever meet people and i play this game a lot i talk to somebody and i or i get to know somebody and i think okay no matter, by the way, what they have going on on the outside, no matter how mature, adult looking they sound, seem, act, I have this way of being like, okay, so you're eight years old emotionally. Yeah. Like, and it, it's usually always under 15, right? For all of us, because we all have this trauma. Really, we get traumatized. We get traumatized. And, and if, so I, I, I play that game with other people. And then I try to figure out on any given day, where I'm at emotionally, because I don't think it's static, you know, I think it changes. And, and actually, it's so helpful to do that to try to remember what was happening for you in your life at that time. And then instead of um, like how probably both of us are t- want to do just shame ourselves or beat ourselves up that we should have been better when we were that sure. age, whatever, just to have compassion and say, Oh, well, I know what was going on then. And and I was feeling extremely insecure. So that's the part of my development that just stopped in its yep. tracks at you that know, age. You know, what's so weird is that um, I'm thinking now I have really regressed sometimes in my speaking to Miles. So I'll say, hey, Mayo, like a kid. And I realize it's like I'm five years old, but it's because I think I'm trying to heal that part of myself. I, it's not, but I can throw temper tantrums too, especially at night. Like I gotta go. I literally say, I gotta go night night. I gotta go <laughs> night night right now. And he's like, "What in the hell?" But I think that's what's going on. I yes. turn into, I regress emotionally, mm-hmm. and I think it's because when I was five, my mom started traveling and leaving us with my dad, who was a severely depressed guy, and I was stunted stunted and so when 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 I'm triggered in that way I turn into a five-year-old and but the difference with me is I don't then get on the phone and start calling business associates and people like (laughs) and saying hi help me I gotta go night night I mean that they'd be like um (laughs) that's so we know enough to not do that yeah um and aware enough we're aware enough yeah and and playing this game and then having kids oh. is inter- interesting because I spend a lot of time thinking about like, am I helping them grow past this phase or this age or not? And uh, my daughter, because she's very smart and very capable, 
Um, and she grew up, you know, she's growing up in this, this house with this family. She, I can already see she is the, um, she's like the peacekeeper. I can tell she really feels like she has to have it together all the time. So I'm work, Aaron and I are really working hard to figure out like how we can give her the message. I mean, cause like clearly I know from having done this, clearly the message that we've been giving her is that she needs to do this, that she needs to like completely take care of herself, which it makes sense to me why she would be doing that for reasons I won't say right now. Um, and on this trip, the end of our second day, or I was like, yeah, the end of our second day, we're at dinner and we got down there too late and the kitchen was closed. And so Aaron had to leave to go get food and we're, we're just in the hotel lobby hanging out and she she brought the stuff to color and we were coloring together and then my my son wanted to do it with us and then he started like kind of trying to take it over and she just burst into tears and she said everybody put so much pressure on me oh I wanted to die I just wanted to die I, I but I but at the same time I'm so glad she could say it and we could validate it. All of us, they were like, yep, we do. We put too much pressure on you because if you're, if you're seemingly competent and you're in the context Whoa. of others, then you have to be like even more Whoa. competent. That is wild. But see, here's the thing. You could use it as a, as like you, you were able to, to acknowledge it instead of what happened in my family, which was, no, you're not. No, there's no <laughs> pressure on you. Of course, there's no pressure on you. What are you even talking about? I remember writing, oh my gosh, at like maybe seven, writing uh, with crayons, I am always alone. Okay. Okay. And leaving it, I was home alone at seven watching television. My parents, who knows where everybody was. So I leave that out. Not shocking. I mean, I, I yeah, didn't right. quote, mean to, but of course I did. Yeah. And my mom goes, oh, I got, I saw that note. Is that, is that true? And I felt so bad that of course I lied. I said, no, no, I was just kidding. She goes, okay, great. She never investigated any of it. So at least you're investigating what it means, the messages you're getting from her and from your children, instead of dismissing, squashing, or denial. My mom was like, great. Okay. You were just joking. Oh, good. Instead of like, let's really talk about this. Do you feel alone? Or when do you feel alone? No conversation. No conversation. Right. Because it's just so threatening to the parent. Like if, if I take you seriously, then I have to admit that I've failed you in some ways as a parent. And that's the other thing. Why does any parent ever think that they're not going to fail their right. kids? I mean, right. I, I had a therapist one time who said, this is, I had, a, this was like, I went to this person when I was very first a, a mom and he said, it's so tempting to think you're going to do it perfectly, isn't it? And I'm like, I didn't even know that that's how I was thinking of it, but that's exactly how I was thinking about it. And twice in the last couple of weeks, uh, I have basically forced myself to engage in a conversation with two of my, yeah, separate times with two of my kids about ways that I failed them. And I just realized like, this is the conversation this is basically your biggest job as a as a parent to be open to this conversation. Yep. Because no matter how hard you try, you're going to fail your kids in innumerable ways because you're flawed and you can't be 
everything to your child when they need it. And the best thing you can do is when the day comes, and they could be five, they could be 45, when they come to you and they say, hey, (laughs) you know, you did this and it really didn't work out. Just to be able to say, I'm sorry, you're right. I did do that. And not say, well, it's not my fault because that's how, uh, you know, my my parents raised me. Uh, It was your father's fault. You were anything like that just has to be. Yes, I hear you. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, I'm open to talking to you about it at any time that you want to talk to me about it. That is so beautiful. I wish that had happened. The only time that happened with my mom was when she was dying. That's usually when it is. And then it's like, and when she did that, did you, did you get angry? I got angry. I got angry because it was obviously such a a bind to be in to say, but I did say, you know, you did the best you could, but it wasn't good enough. And I'm thank you for saying, but of course I got angry because I was like, you're going to wait till now when I'm taking Mm -hmm. care of you and you're dying. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about yeah. putting pressure on somebody to forgive. Right. Somebody. Right. Right. Yeah. I know. And Aww. and also it's weird that you, that any of us could have so much clarity about the problems in the way that we were raised and still think that if we are raising children, that we're somehow like doing it exactly the right way. It's so, it's, it's interesting. It's really you know, the other thing that's interesting to me is like, I think it's a, a really good that she said everyone always puts so much pressure on me. I think it's a good thing to think about how we all put so much pressure on ourselves too, like as adults. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it's, 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 I used to hate, hate children crying in restaurants, right? I would like mm-hmm. want to, I would, it would bring up so much rage in me that it was a problem area. And finally, a therapist said to me, Can you just imagine that that child, is screaming and yelling because you can't in a restaurant for us. It is expressing the thing that adults cannot do. And I was like, Oh, it like opened up. It gave me so much more compassion. And also I was like, Oh, they're I'm partly enraged because they're doing what I wish I could do sometimes and they can do it. And I was like, I never was allowed to do that. Oh my gosh. So it, it, but like the fact that she was able to say that, Oh, how amazing, you know? Yeah. Because yeah. we do. We put pressure on ourselves. We put pressure on our children. Everyone's putting pressure on everything. And, you know, and then you got the Pablo Macaronis of the world just making it worse. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> now, here's a question. Do the Pablo Macaronis of the world put pressure on themselves? I think they do. I think the pressure is to keep up the lie, right? And even that oh, is a right, job. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. a job. Now, I don't know if they feel it as pressure. Right. It's not that sort of pressure like I'm a good person. Why is this happening to me? It's more like, can I keep it up? Can I keep it up? But that's a different kind of pressure. But I don't think they put the like the good guilty pressure on them. Right. Or like serial killers. Are they like, God, you know, my numbers have been really low this month. It's just got to get, get my head in the game. Why is my head not in the game? That's hilarious. They gotta get her head in the game. Well, I gotta chop her head off. I was gonna say, why is my head not in the game? Cut to the freezer with the head in the freezer. Genius. Today on the podcast, we talk with Justin Ross. 
Justin Ross is the first person we've talked to who's currently a student right now at a theater conservatory. Um, he, he's a fourth year BFA student at DePaul, and we had a lovely conversation with him. He's a multi-hyphenate. He does it all. He's an actor. He's a writer. He's a filmmaker. He's a mover. He's a singer. He's just, he's full of life. He's effervescent. And he his insights and his, um, just the amount of awareness that he has about himself as an artist, as a human, um, as a student was, was glorious. So please enjoy our interview with Justin Ross. So Justin, I don't know if you've ever listened to our podcast before, but we start every episode by telling people, congratulations, you survived theater school, but you actually haven't survived it yet. (laughs) Not yet. I'm almost there. I'm surviving it. You are surviving it currently. You're surviving theater school, Justin. Absolutely. What yes, year I are you? Graduation. I'm in my last year, so I graduate in June. Okay, so Boz is going to be your teacher. I'll soon. be your teacher. Uh, I'm going to teach on camera to um, spring quarter on the 29th, starting on the 29th. Yes. What? Yes. With Ryan. Oh, I'll Kimmy. see you there. Yeah, I'll see you there. It's going to be what? super fun. I'll see you there. Mm-hmm. We're going to have so, a good time. I love that. We are just okay, okay. dying to know what this has been like to be doing this remotely. It must be just wild. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's 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 like, and I'll tell you. Let me turn that off. Um, so you know, I was I have an interesting story with you know my mom works for the CDC, and oh. I'm in I'm from Atlanta. Yeah, okay. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. I'm in Atlanta right now. My mom works at the CDC headquarters here. She's been on the COVID response team. And wow. so this time last year, really around January last year, I got a call. My mom was like, hey, family, we're going to get on a call. I just want to let you know some things because she was in New Jersey at the time. She was like, OK, so COVID is like a thing and the country is probably going to go into shutdown in these next few weeks. And just knowing my mom, I'm like... Oh my God, you're being so dramatic. Like, mm-hmm. what are you? she works there and I'm still like, Mom, like, it's okay. And no, she was absolutely right. Come March, everything shut down. And um the world turned upside down in more ways than one. Yeah. Um, and so for me, I think artistically, because I don't only act, I do music. I dance and I do a lot of those things. I'm a multi-hyphenate artist. And so at the time I had just done my first, um, a a group of artists and I had just done our first live concert for an EP we dropped. And it was, it was beautiful. It was so beautiful. I got nominated for a princess grace scholarship, which was like, which is a scholarship, you know? Yeah. Things were moving. I thought, I just felt like, wow, like God, in the universe is finally seeing my work and I'm being rewarded for the work that I put in and just, and I'm, and I'm getting somewhere. I feel a, I feel a momentum coming. And as soon as that momentum came, it was like, like the rug got Mm. swept from under no more concerts. Princess Grace scholarship got canceled, which would have paid off a large portion of my loans. Um, And so, and so just as an artist, as a person, I realized in that mode, I was a little bit in a survival mode mm-hmm. as an artist. Mm-hmm. I was living in this place of like, my art gives me meaning and my art is who I am. Um, and I think there's a spectrum of that, but like, it's not the whole thing. And so going to school on Zoom, I just lost all motivation in the spring. I was like, oh, 
I was, mm-hmm. I was skipping class. I was like, Oh, fuck this. Like, I'm not doing mm-hmm. it. Like, I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm not doing it. Um, but I had to go through truly like a spiritual awakening <laughs> in order to like really adapt and move and not resist how it's been happening. Like, wow. Cause I'm just a very, I, I love in-person learning. I just love people. I love energy. I just, and I love bodies as well. I'm a physical actor. So like, I just love playing with bodies and seeing what bodies can do in relationship to each other. And so taking that from me has been, it's been very difficult. Um, it's just been, it's been, it's, it's hard, but. Um, can I you know, ask you a question, Justin? Um, yeah. How did my, first of all, my network is very bad. So forgive the delay, but um, okay. um, we talk about it a lot, my very bad network. Um, but um, how did you, that spiritual awakening, can you talk a little bit about how that you um, moved through that? Like, how did you go from like, fuck this to, you know what, I'm going to give it a shot. Yeah. As you asked me that at 11, 11, um, <laughs> I don't, I, Hey, I can't I, truly. I, oh, wow. Where do I even start? Everything I, so I was in Chicago and everybody, we were forced to go home. So I came back home to Atlanta. Hoo-cha. <laughs> I had to live. I, I live with, I had to stay with my parents. Um, I am queer. I came out of the closet my freshman year of college, but you know, it's that thing of like, when I came out, I came to Atlanta, came out and I was like, okay, I just came here to come out and I'm going back to Chicago because right. I had to do it. Mm-hmm. I, my work, my, I, I stopped growing and it was because there was a truth that I wasn't confronting. So I was like, oh yeah, well, if I'm here to do school, this is a part of the learning. Like I got to go home, come out, come back and be who I am. And so it's that thing of like, okay, I came out, but I haven't been here long enough for my it to really sink in and for me to like have to learn how to be myself around my peoples, you know, friends, family. These people here knew me in my survival mode. They didn't know me in my thrival mode. And so coming home forced me to reckon with how what I was running from. Hmm. Um, and so being with my parents, I was running, I was running. I didn't feel like I could be creative around them. I didn't feel like I could be myself. I, my friends, I didn't feel like I could, the person that I had become in Chicago, I couldn't be that anymore. And I was like, so what's holding me back from that? I know who I am, but for some reason I'm in this depression. So I had to really awaken to like, okay, these are the factors in my life that aren't working anymore. So coming back home, I returned not only home, but to the habits that I picked up while I was at home. So the spiritual awakening, people make it seem like it's more God and da 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 da. All it really was, was me having to talk to God as I released the things that no longer served me. And it was hard because I was in this middle position of like, well, what what, what do I run to now? What do I run to? Yeah. And it was art. It was art. It had to be art. It, it, saved my, it saved me. I didn't, when I stopped smoking and drinking and do, I had to do art. It was the only thing left. Um, That's amazing. (laughs) That is, I love this story already. So if, but did you do, you performed, I'm assuming you've performed all, all of your life. So I'm thinking to myself, you were having to perform being a performer, right? (laughs) (laughs) Before you went to school and, and that must have been so hard. That's a hat on a hat on a hat. How did you do? How'd you survive that in high school? Who? Who? 
what, 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 what a way to say that a hat on a hat on a hat. And it's, I survived it. It was about, so just to be transparent, art was about proving myself at first. It was about having something to, I have something to fucking say. I wasn't, I was in, so a little bit of my ego was attached. A lot of bit of my ego was attached to it. I was like, oh, I just get to be on stage and like, you get to see me and I get to be seen and you don't get to, and you get to, and not only that, you get to see how limitless I am. That's what it was about. It wasn't really about telling stories. I'm gonna be honest, like it just wasn't. It was about my, just knowing that I was capable of getting in front of a thousand people, 500 people and being like, fuck this, because I felt like I couldn't do that in real life. And so navigating that, like, it's so crazy. Like people would be like, you do all that on stage, but then off stage, you're like this introvert, you're like this shy person. You're like, you know, so it's like, it was medicine for me. It was like, well, that's enough for me. For you to see me for that hour and 30 and see that I'm that's what I'm capable of. People saw me differently. They did. They, they treated me differently when they saw me perform. They did. It was almost like I had a, a sense of worth now. I was worthy of something. I was worthy of people's communication. I was worthy of people's kindness now, you know? So it was it was the way that I navigated it. It was, it was survival. Like it truly was. I felt like I was invisible. And then all of a sudden I wasn't. And, but the work wasn't, you know, it was, it was there. It was therapy when it should have been therapeutic. The art wasn't therapeutic yet. It was just like a way to make friends and feel important. Um, um, but I'm blessed because through those hats on hats on hats, I've developed a lot of skills now that I now, with my different mindset, come to with a di- come to with a different energy and a different intention of like, okay, I don't need to prove anything to anyone. I have nothing to prove. This is something that I have now, and I can work it every day, and I can find the flow in it, and now it heals me, rather than me trying to like. I don't know. I don't really know how to describe it, but you know, just put perform. It's not a performance anymore. It's, it's just me being, it's me existing within that craft. That's, I love that. But so when you did come back home to be with people that you had known as a performer, when you were performing your performance self, uh, how did, did, was that a welcoming? I mean, did people welcome you? Was it all good? Or did you have, did you struggle with that? with your, with, in your social life back home? No, I struggled with it. I'm, I'm, I have some, I had some people please, heavy people pleasing tendencies. Mm -hmm. Um, I was, you know, as a child, I was emotionally neglected as a child. Um, just to be very frank, um, I'm an emotional person. And so that emotional neglect just led me into a place where I just feel like I had to please everyone and perform for everyone to keep them in my life, to keep them present with me emotionally, to keep them, to show them that I'm worth investing in emotionally mm. and physically as well, like be here. And, and it was hard because I was not voicing what my problems were with anyone. And that was the thing. It's like, I feel all these things, but I'm afraid to be emotional. I'm afraid to really be vulnerable and show you like, this is actually who I am now. This is what I need now from you. Just because I was afraid that people were going to leave and they left anyway. They had to go anyway. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't what, so it's like, it you was needed them to fear. go. Yeah. And I wouldn't kick them out. Mm-hmm. Right. 
Right, because you it, didn't want to be so in I trouble. Was <laughs> yeah. How did you how did you end up at the theater school? I'm so curious how you picked the theater school or how it picked you. It picked me. It definitely picked me. Um, my parents are from Chicago. So I'm the only one. I'm the only like ATLian. Like my parent, everyone's in Chicago. Aunts, uncles, grandmas, grandpas, cousins. Everyone else is in Chicago. I'm literally, my sister and I, my little sister, are the only ATLians. Um, but originally, I wanted to go to Juilliard. Because again, it was just about proving myself. If I get into this big name school, then everyone knows that I'm worthy. Um, but my mom, when I was a junior, was like, you know, have you heard about DePaul? And I was like, no. And we went on a tour to DePaul once. And then I was just like, damn. This, it was the yellow staircase for me. I was just like, <laughs> I was like, wow, this is just a colorful build. The energy, it was just the energy. I was like, I don't know what it is about this building, but I just feel something. It's something about it. I feel like I've been here before, to be honest. And oh wow, I, yeah, it was it's it was kind of surreal. I was like, I just feel like I've been here. Um, and then I toured again at the end of that year and did a workshop with Christina Flutie movement workshop, and I was just like whoa, like, I loved that. I was like, I'm still going to Juilliard, though. Or, and if not Juilliard, Carnegie Mellon, you know? I'm like, I, mm-hmm. I know what I'm well, doing. Well, yeah, as and a multi-hyphenate, so, those, those would probably be a more natural fit, right? Right, you know? And so I I, I auditioned um, the day I auditioned for the TTS. And then I, I, I toured a third time my senior year, just for the heck of it. I'm in Chicago all the time to see my family. So we were like, let's do another tour. Cause we just love the tour so much. Um, <laughs> and so <laughs> we just loved it. And, um, and so that third tour, I was like, I just felt comfortable now. Cause I'm like, I've been here. Y'all have seen my face over and over again. Like, mm-hmm. And so I, the day I auditioned, I auditioned in Atlanta for TTS. That was like the best day of my life. Just like the day was beautiful. I auditioned. It was a beautiful audition, a beautiful space audition with Claudia and Cameron Knight. And um, after that, I went to the movies by myself and I snuck my little Thai food in the movies. It was an empty (laughs) theater. It was just me. I was watching Moana. It was just a beautiful day. I didn't like I just was like, wow, like I feel so good. And so without me knowing then it was just a sign. It was just a sign. And then when I got in, I was like, oh, I got in. Wow. But it was still like, no, I'm still waiting for Juilliard. And I'm still waiting for Carnegie. Didn't get in there. Get in, didn't get in there. And then all my friends went to Howard. So I have a lot of friends in Atlanta. A lot of my friends went to Howard um, in D.C. And I was like, oh, I need to go to Howard. Like, all my friends are going. It's going to be dope. But Howard didn't give me any money. And <laughs> TTS gave me 100 It was almost like God being like, oh, my God. <laughs> Here, I'm making it clear. Like, right. here's a hundred and so so thousand dollars. <laughs> Go here. Yeah. I was like, okay, fine. Um, and when I went, oh, it's the best decision I ever made in my life. Yay! Oh, I love hearing that. Yeah. Yeah. So, ever. but but like literally, how are you doing movement and voice on Zoom? I. You know, voice is a little, voice is, a, to be, to, just to be frank, when I was at TTS in person, after class, I was going to movement studios from six o'clock and I'd be in the theater school building until 2 a.m., like hmm. all the time, just naturally 
I love the work and I come to the work. I'm not one of those people who go to class, go home and then wait to go to class to practice my art again. Like, no, I do it, you know? And so when Zoom stuff doesn't work, Zoom doesn't work for me. This is me, you know? Mm-hmm. I create my own curriculum and I've always done that. I've, okay. I create my own, like what works for me. I'm there, I'm present, but sometimes, well, I, that's not always true. I'm there, but I'm not always present. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know, I, I'll turn my camera off and I'm like, this is what I'm doing today. I make music. So for my voice and speech, I'm working on my song right now as class is going. That's my mm-hmm. finesse, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm still growing and I'm still. So that's how I that's like the, the, the secret of like how I do it. And I also I think in this time I advocate for myself. I speak to the theater school and I go, this is not serving me. I need to do this. And they trust me enough because I built that relationship of communication where I can just be like hey this class or this teacher or this we not gelling or it's just not I'm and I'm in Atlanta everybody's in Chicago I already feel kind of out of the mix I got to take a different route and they respect that and they go okay we just need you to turn this in by the end of the quarter and now I have an assignment now I have something to work on from that I feel like helps me so that's how I've been doing it like I've just been kind of creating my own curriculum is the plan that it's that you're not going to go back or are they going to try to get you back in the last months? They so some things, some things. So like we have an African dance class this last quarter that we'll be doing in the quad. So I'm trying to go back to Chicago. I might just finish out my last quarter in Chicago cuz I need that in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh I need mm-hmm. I just need mm-hmm. to be in person for that. Um mm-hmm. and so some things there are in person and then some things are I think it's like a hybrid. Um, okay. I think they're playing it by ear. DePaul students get the vaccine on the 29th. So. Oh, good. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's a relief. Mm-hmm. I mean, because that's the other thing is you have to be close. That's the whole point of theater school is bodies on bodies on bodies. So I just I was like, how is this even going to work? But, you know, everything is possible if you if, if you engineer it enough. So but yeah. now you haven't been able to do a show uh, this. Right. So you just did you do you did your fall uh quarter show yes okay what yeah, was I that did. it was our lady of kibeho by uh katori hall Ooh, how cool tell us yes, about your direct- experience yes it was directed by phyllis griffin mm-hmm. who is we just... had phyllis we had phyllis mm-hmm. phyllis is everything phyllis yes. is we're, we're literally my, uh, some students and i were working on making because i think this is our last year before retirement we're working on doing a documentary of her last year before she retires. Yeah. It's so, yeah, she's just phenomenal. It was beautiful. I played uh, Bishop Gahamai, and um, I come from a Catholic high school background. And um, we had factions like Our Lady of Lords, Our Lady of Kibeho, Our Lady of Fatima. And so I was already familiar with Kibeho and the, the story of these three uh, girls who were seeing apparitions. And I'm a spiritual person, so I was very connected to that that story. And it was just, it, w- it was beautiful um, to see, you know, my class is the largest Black acting class that the school has ever had in the history wow. of the Goodman School of Drama. Yeah, we have- Which is how eight, many? Eight, like, can you give us a sense of how many people? Mm-hmm, t- 12 in my acting class. That's amazing. And That's isn't amazing. that crazy? Yeah. yeah. Isn't that amazing. crazy? It's like, whoa. You know, and it's so, both crazy uh, that they didn't have this before. I mean, I, I'm sure you've heard. We had basically one. from the yeah, it was like one. They it, it was almost like a 
a system de- designed to have one or two people of color. I mean, two. as you know, and Phyllis was our only professor of color. And, oh, yeah. and that, la- to my knowledge, that lasted for quite some time. And 12, yes. uh, by the way, out of a hundred, did you, did you start with a hundred in your class? Did we have 32, Okay, 32 of us. And so 12 out of the 32. Um, and actually what you're saying during the Our Lady of Kibeho process, you know, when I came in, I started um, an organization called the Black Artists of Today, which is the first affinity group the, the school has seen in its history as well. I was like, all these black, and I'm from Atlanta, it's black as hell here. So I was mm-hmm. just like, all these black people, I was like, no, we get together. What are we doing? And we're stronger together. Um, and, you know, a lot of, and so we came together and for Kibeho, especially, we saw a lot of the unconscious bias and a lot of the um, aloof racism within that process. Black people learn differently. It's the truth. We, when you bring, that was a, that was an all black cast except for one white actor. We were we were warming up with a dance. We were warming up with a djembe drum. That's not a process that usually people in the theater school go through. Right. And so they they did not respect our process is mm-hmm. the truth of it. We're stepping into this Rwandan dialect, these Rwandan people. So we need to step into the Rwandan music, the Rwandan, the, 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 the culture of community. That's what African, a lot of African cultures are about, is that community creating rhythm in a dance. Like we had a whole dance that they would not allow us to do. There were just a lot of things that they were like, we can't make time for that. We can't do this. And then Phyllis, watching Phyllis like have to like surrender, all of the kids in our class were like, what the fuck is going on? Like, hell no. Like we, and we had a whole moment where we were like, Phyllis, has this been what you've been going through? All of these years, is this what you've been going through? Like, just, they don't, they just, they don't respect you. They don't allow you to, they don't respect you. They don't respect your actors. They don't respect your process. And as actors, it's almost like people always like, well, actors don't respect designers and da, 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 da. That is not who we were. It is not who we were. That, it was just that, you know, because sometimes I feel, in that moment, I just feel like production and artistry like uh, actors like it just clashed because production was like well this is my set this is my lights this is my sound and we were like okay we don't give a fuck about it we just want to make a show we could do this in a black box Mm -hmm. why are we making this about um Mm -hmm. flash it's really not about that um and so we weren't being heard and it took a lot of fighting and so that the process taught me in the midst of like all of that struggle, like, okay, this is kind of what the real world is like a little bit. I'm getting a taste that like, it's not really about the story. It's about the money, mm-hmm. you know, it's about mm-hmm. the production. I was like, okay, so now I'm getting an understanding because I wasn't understanding at first. And we just, we weren't, we weren't seeing eye to eye. It was a lot of like, we had to have a whole like discussion as a ensemble, like, production team and because now actors and designers started to get into it because people started to disrespect Phyllis and we wasn't having it it was just a lot of stuff um but it ended up being a beautiful show um in the midst of all that through that chaos came something very beautiful and like 
you know, and, and showed the school that like, yeah, this is something new. This is a different way of doing things. Like we have our, like, there's another way. And you've never seen this way because you ain't never had as many black people in the space. Well, you that's know? what so. I'm thinking of. I'm thinking what it must be like for Phyllis to finally be able to do a play with an all black cast. I mean, she may have been able to do it before this year, but I just remember our first year. Boz, was it before our first year that she did for Color Girls or was that our first year? I think it was our first year she did for Colored Girls and there was only like one or two black one, actors. One. I heard about one. She told us about Dorcas. That. It was Dorcas, Dorcas, right? Was that yeah, was, yeah Dorcas yeah. Johnson? Yeah. So oh my gosh. By the way, just as an aside, if 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 you are uh putting together a documentary about Phyllis, if we can contribute in any way uh, especially Absolutely. the the very few uh, black actors that were in our four years, we can. They've been on this podcast, and we can um, hook you up with them. And also, by the way, tell also tell Phyllis we really want her to do the podcast, but she hasn't responded to okay. our emails. <laughs> you know when she, you know that's Phyllis. Yeah. <laughs> I got you. If I, say, if I if I if I can get to her, then we I'll definitely talk to her about it. Okay. Wow. Good. 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 So that's so cool. Black artists of today. So what's the mission? Is the mission really just um, trying to undo some of these conscious and unconscious biases? Yeah, just giving giving black people a space within this white dominated conservatory group to to have a vision and feel like it can be executed without resistance. That was the goal. It was really just uh, our core values. We uh, we value accountability boldness, performance, um, um, what are our other values? Um, and just gall. I think that was our main thing. Just like having the balls to just be like, I want to do this thing. Because a lot of the, the group felt like they just needed permission. Because a lot of the, some of the Black actors that, you know, I come from a Black dominated space. But a lot of the Black actors come from white space, come from white, like their hometowns, just like they were the token. They were so like I like it was an op- it was an opportunity for us to be like okay like no we don't need anyone's permission you don't need anyone's permission to tell your story black girl black boy black neither um you you can you have freedom here we can just literally we would meet up in a black box and. We, we we broke up into groups, groups of four, wrote pieces the same way you would devise like any other thing, came back together and we created a show called the Monkey Bar Anthology, which is like this playground series of like the traumas that we all had gone through as children, like stuff we experienced on the playground that just really shaped us into like who we are. And it was beautiful. We put it up ourselves for the playwrights, uh, uh, show and people were telling us they were like wow that's like the best show I've seen at the theater school and we didn't have a set we had like some blocks and each other and um also it was a space where we could open up to more than acting like we could we create we sang we had singing pieces we had spoken word pieces we had dance pieces we had comedic pieces all in one show um because I think that just, and it's not the theater school's fault, but sometimes conservatory training, when you even think about the theater school building, it's a box. It's like a, it's this boxy place. It's just this like very concrete, concrete floors. It's very like, you're doing this, you're in this show. This is where you're, t- we want you to go this way. This it's, and it's not their fault. That's how conservatory just naturally is. So we wanted to create a space 
where there's not really boxes. There's a sphere that kind of just continues to expand. Um, Mm. That's so cool. Well, I, I, at, at the risk of sounding like a, uh, one of these people who you hate, uh, who I hate, um, the box would be preferable to the school to the building that we had mm-hmm. our theater school in, which is which it was a, an abandoned uh, elementary school. I mean, it yeah. had its charm, but it was uh, it was sorely needing updating. Um, okay, so you did so you did the Katori Hall show this year. What about last year? What shows did you do last year? Oh well, that was the show last year. Oh right, sorry, the Kibay Hub. I didn't get to do any shows this year. Mm, um, man. We, there were Zoom shows. So we had Zoom shows um, this year, but we had an option. There's something that's called the Student Indie Project Endeavor that they started up because people didn't want to, like, people like myself, refused to do a Zoom show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so they were like, what do you want to do then? And so I decided, I was like, I'm writing a short film, which I shoot in two weeks. Um, Congratulations. Yes, super exciting. Thank you so much. Um, so my, uh a collaborator and a student in my class, Shelby Ronea and I, we decide to, oh, we're going to develop this short film. And the school is like, okay, we'll give you $500 and this will be your credit. This will be your performance credit. We're like, dope. Um, And so that was our performance credit last quarter. We submitted all of our packages. We said, even though the film won't get to you, we have the script. We can send you a Zoom recording of the reading. We can send you our uh, lookbook. All that's being done. And then next quarter, like I have a show as well that I had to cancel, but in replacement, I'm like, I'm dropping an EP. I will give you a music video and that'll be my, that'll be my thing. Um, Which honestly worked out beautifully because when I was in the building, music was something that they were definitely battling me on. Like Mm. it was like, you know, they were just like, we need you here. It was a cohort of us because a lot of the students in TTS, we rap. And so we created a rap group and like, we were fire. And so they, but they weren't really messing with it. They were just like, look, I'm hearing that y'all aren't doing, we all collectively like weren't doing homework. It was a mess because we were in the studio every night. It was just a mess. So you weren't doing homework yeah. because you were doing the work. <laughs> and they were like, well, this is our way, you know? And so they were like, well, we need you to do this. We need you to do this because now we're seeing a pattern. It's you, him, him, and him. And I'm like, yeah, we all in the same rap group. Um, <laughs> and so now, now that we are kind of remote, it's almost been liberating. It's like, okay, well now we can do it and like make it our grade. Like that's kind of beautiful. Um, I think, I think what's standing out to me too, is that this idea of a conservatory is um, probably really outdated and it needs to be modified and needs to be updated. And it sounds like from what I'm hearing from you is that you are one of those people that had the calling to lead the charge of sort of innovating that school, which is, mind-blowing because if if you ever listen to the podcast Gina and I talk a lot about how we didn't really know who we were when we were at the theater school and I am so um encouraged and also in awe that you seem to know who the fuck you are and what the fuck you want to do and that is glorious (laughs) I I I can't imagine it it's glorious and it's and the conservatory method and the methodology needs to change right I mean that's what I'm hearing I don't Mm -hmm. know yeah no, absolutely. It's I went in an actor and came out an artist. Um, mm. It's kind of what I say. Like, 
I went, I, I didn't know I wanted to be an artist or a multi-hyphenate artist. I just knew that I kind of did these things and I, but I acted mainly. I'm like an actor who sings, an actor who dances, an actor who raps. And when I got in the building with so many resources, I was like, wait, I have all these resources and I can only act? That don't make mm, sense to me. Right. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. What's your film about? So my film right now, it's called, it's, uh, it's called Sun and Moon, A Secret Tragedy. And it's about two queer men, uh, two queer black men who are um, competing for compassion, who are ashamed about their sexuality. Um, one is out of the closet, one is in the closet. Um, and they share this like secret passion for one another. One is afraid to voice how he feels because he just values the friendship, even though he knows I desire you. Like I'm out of the closet, but like a gay man and a straight man can be friends. It's possible. Um, and I will resist my desire to maintain a friendship with you. And the others, like, I desire you too, but I'm going to beat around the bush. I'm not going to say the truth. I want to see if I can have my cake and eat it too. Um, have this girlfriend on the side and be with you. And so it's a movement-based film. A lot of the film is about how when the spoken truth isn't said, how it manifests in bodies. You know, it's like... um so a lot of it, and it's uh, we have a lot of contact improv kind of incorporation in it. So it's like, if he's say like, he's like, oh yeah, I love that. No homo though. And then there's a shot of like them next to each other and their legs intertwining though. There's still that, like, I can't say this, but like, I need to physically feel you. I need to be, I need to get as close to the truth as possible, even though I can't say it. So mm-hmm. That's kind of what it's about. Um, and of course, it's a secret tragedy because it's not really something people see because it's usually on the down low. It's usually mm-hmm. something that mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. is not in the public eye. So, yeah. Are you going to be filming it in Atlanta or are you going back to Chicago to do it? We were filming in Chicago, but now we're filming it in Atlanta. That's so cool. And so you're the star and the writer and you're directing it? I'm not directing it. My Shelby's directing it. I w- that would have been way too much. Writing and starring is already too much. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's been a beautiful, both are going to be my debuts of being in a film uh, and uh, screenwriting a film. And so it's been a beautiful experience. I am starring in a, in a, a friend of mine, Eric, who's a dancer, is, is going to be opposite me. And so um it's just been such a fruitful experience because now it's like, it's that expansion. It's just like, oh, okay, I can do this too. Let's try this out. Rather mm-hmm. than like, you know, having all these expectations or like, I'm a Virgo. So sometimes I, Those beings, really, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, there's that, there's that paralyzing perfectionism sometimes mm-hmm. that comes mm-hmm. up. That's just like, it needs to be this or it can't be anything. And it's like, no, it's like, it's not all or nothing. Like, yeah, I've never done this before, but I'm very capable. You're a beginner until you're not. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just been fun to like expand and go through the process. The script has gone through like eight drafts and I'm like, oh, this is this process. This is what it takes. Oh, wow. But it's been fun. It's been awesome. As they say, writing is rewriting. Uh, so I'm trying to make sense of the curriculum now. I mean, you mentioned African dance, which is a class that we had, of course, uh, voice and speech, of course, movement, but did, did it, did it go the way of your first year? First of all, are there only two first year acting teachers? Mm, no, they did. They definitely, they change it every year now, to be quite honest. Oh, okay. um, once I think once our class came in, 
we just shook shit up. And they were like, okay, we don't know what to do with y'all. Mm-hmm. And then the next class came and they were a little anxious. They were like, okay, let's switch it up again. Then the next class, they were like, oh my God, like, what are we, like, literally the theater school is in a cluster fuck right now. They don't know really what to do. And they're starting to figure it out. Anti-racism work and all this stuff. So the curriculum is very, it's in this like metamorphosis period right now. Um, the the class that comes like this next freshman class, they're a little bit blessed because I think they're figuring out a concrete, like, okay, this is how we should do it now. But um, to me, it should always be that clusterfuck thing. To me, it should always be how you... Well, yeah, it should students. be always responding to the to the students. I mean, that that's that's our big takeaway in thinking about this process that we went through and didn't know ourselves is um, we didn't know how to advocate for ourselves. We didn't even know what we didn't know. We didn't know what we were missing. Um, and we certainly didn't possess the ability to say what you've referenced saying, this isn't working for me, whatever. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying what you're doing is wrong. I'm just saying for me, it isn't working. And I am paying a lot of money to go to school here. So maybe you should figure out a way for it to work for me. I mean, that was just, and it's a cultural thing too. I mean, like in our generation was just completely, I think, unused to say, especially women, completely unused to saying, you know, advocating for ourselves in that, in that way, which is sad, but true. Um, Uh, was going to ask you a question. I can ask you a question. Oh yeah, go. Um, so now that you're 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 in Atlanta right now, and then you're you're planning to go back to Chicago. What's what's the deal on how? I'm just so curious on how you are your take on the whole showcase experience and how and your and your um yeah. What is your take on that? Because that's such a big part of the fourth year. We've talked to so many people through the through the year. Okay, so tell us about your whole a philosophy on that showcase. Yeah, I'm, I, yeah, I want to answer your questions. Sometimes I can just word vomit. Well, you can vomit. You can word vomit. Yes. Okay. Yes, I can vomit. Can of course. Yes, absolutely. So to me, it's the same philosophy that I share about Zoom plays and digital. Like, no one's watching it. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> yeah. just how I feel. No mm-hmm. one's watching it. Like, just let's be real. Um, mm-hmm. No one's about to go on the theater school website and click through all these damn kids and watch eight minutes. No one's doing that. Um, and if they, And maybe I'm being a little pessimistic. I see myself being a realist in it, though. I don't want to do that. Um, so what age it was? I don't know. Yeah. But maybe maybe someone out there, it couldn't be me though, you know, but like, I think that through that, I love, I love traveling. I just love going to different places. I've traveled my whole life. Both of my grandmothers worked for United Airlines. Flights are in my blood. Um, and so I thought, but you know what's so crazy? Freshman year, I came in. You know, everyone's talking about showcase. It's like, oh, I'm coming to theater school because in the fourth year, we get a showcase and that showcase gets me an agent and then I'll launch me. My freshman year, I knew. I was like, I ain't putting all that pressure on showcase. I'm just not doing it. I'm not. I I refuse to be disappointed because I get, you know, expectations lead to disappointment. And so sometimes. And so I was like, a lot of my classmates put all this expectation on this thing. And to me, I was like, 
I just want to go to LA and kick it. I want to go to New York and kick it. I'm not worried about an agent. That's going to work itself out, you know? And so now the way that it's working, yeah, I, I'm a, I have a partner. We have a scene. I have a solo thing, but my heart's not in it because also I already have representation. God is good. Uh, I've recently just uh, signed with Stuart Talent in Chicago. Congratulations. And so, thank you. And so it's also like now I'm like, well, shoot, like, I mean, you know, it's mm-hmm. kind of just to, and my partner has representation. She's signed by Gray. And so we're both in it kind of like, and also just the real, the reality of it is, I just feel it, it has been more difficult. A lot of my white peers had their content or scenes ready. It's because it's like, that's the content we've been doing throughout the four years is your content. And you feel like your voice, you've gotten to say what you need to say. I was a Rwandan. I'm from Atlanta. You know, like I don't, I have to. So it's been a little more difficult for me to find a script that I feel like represents what I have to say. Um, so through that process, my, my, my partner and I, we were like, can we make an original piece? Like we just have so much more to present than like, and it's like, we fell into, we did like Terrell, Terrell Alvin McCraney. We found, and, and it's like, those pieces are cool, but like, we're just on this cutting edge of like new work that we aren't really in tune with because the theater school is not in tune with it. So we don't have the scripts because they don't have the scripts. So for Showcase, it's just been this kind of like, okay, we know you think we're great, but like, we don't, you want us to choose this thing from these shows or these plays that just really, don't represent us. Um, and so it's been kind of difficult to like find some things. And, but both my partner and I, we just got so overwhelmed and stressed out with it. Cause all of us are now looking forward. We're like, okay, post-graduation, what is going to be the, so like, we just settled. We were like, let's just do this little script for the showcase, <laughs> like, and have it be there. We signed already. It's cool. Like, let's just do it. So it's, that sucks. That breaks my heart that, we don't see it as something that's this pivotal moment because theater school, that's like your hurrah, that's your closure. Um, but to me, I was, I just looked forward to traveling with my class to New York and LA. Like that was the fun. That was what was going to be in it for me. Just that experience of traveling with your class um, and having that taken away has been heart, heartbreaking. Um but you know, we 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 make it through. We're finding I, a way. I feel like it is so. Um, the the fact that you weren't placing so much pressure on the showcase is a huge gift because everyone we talk to, most people, and myself included, my showcase experience was a nightmare. A nightmare because I put so much pressure on myself and then self sabotage. It was just we're. So the idea that what I get from you is that you're focused on the work, doing the work, making the art versus getting somewhere. And it, it, it it's, it's so it's in my 45 year old brain. I'm like, that's so going to serve you. That's so going to serve you. Keep returning mm-hmm. to the work and not the outcome of will someone love me when I stand up here and do this piece from whoever wrote it, you know? Oh, it's, it's, mm. it's my, yeah, and can I speak to, and like we were talking about earlier, like it took my spiritual awakening to, I, like I had an idea of that my freshman year. I was, like I said, I've always been connected to spirit, but like when the pandemic happened, everything just said, like all the things that were like unaligned became like, okay, 
like get aligned. Because there were still, I have so I would I have self-sabotaging tendencies as well, especially when I focus when I overthink it, when I just when I'm in my head so much. And it like I truly think a lot of actors, we have to really be honest with ourselves about why we do what we do. And it's like it's okay for you to say, I want to be famous. That is okay to be that was my reason, but it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. It's we, like, I just think transparency is key. And I think a lot of times actors, we get into this, like, I want to change the world with my art. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Okay. What is it? What do you really want? You want the applause. Okay, cool. That's what your focus is on. Now, we just, you can still do this thing, but let's shift the focus and see if it still works. You know? So I feel like a lot of actors, a lot of times we got self-worth issues. That throughout, I've worked with so many artists and actors. We, I've, I don't, I've met so many people, and what we share is like an anxiety about life, uh, a self, like this, like void, a void that we're trying to fill, this self worth issue. And I'm like, that needs to be to me in curriculum a little bit because you got a lot of you. We have a lot of broken artists. Mm -hmm. I was a broken artist. And I had to paste my, literally glue myself together. And because I don't think, you know, it's so much more fruitful when you're whole and you can come to the work than when the work makes you whole. Like, it's like, oh my God, it's just so much more fruitful. And so I'm sometimes, I'm, I'm now in a place where like, because I was separated from all my Chicago friends and I was forced to be in alone mode and hermit mode. I go back to Chicago and I still see my friends kind of squirming a little bit like, uh, like, cause their self-worth is still like a little like, uh, and now I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Like you just, you, you gotta love yourself. You just gotta love yourself and you gotta That's trust true. yourself. You know, you have to, it's imperative. And, and the thing that you said about pursuing fame, not being sustainable, not only is it not sustainable, but you have zero control over whether or not you're famous. You only have control over whether or not you're doing something that may or may not lead to you being famous down the line. And if you achieve fame and you don't have self self-worth, that is a recipe for early Disaster. substance abuse problems. <laughs> yeah. Depression, anxiety, the whole, the whole caboodle. So I have kind of a dumb question nowadays. If like you're signed with a Chicago agency, but does that mean you're planning to stay in Chicago or are you uh, going to be kind of all over the place depending on where the work is? Yeah, so I see myself, and they told me that Stuart is in Chicago, Atlanta, LA, and New York. And mm-hmm. so we've kind of discussed, because I, I think I want to stay in Atlanta. Um, and because, you know, everything's here. Everything's filming here. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's home. The weather's great. I just love Atlanta. Um, so I feel like it would be a, a good place for me to really start my stuff for the things that I want to do. Um Chicago shoots maybe like seven shows there, you know, seven, eight, you know? And so we discussed, they were like, yeah, well, once we sign, we can introduce you to the office down there, but also we're going to find stuff for you everywhere. They're like, we, we're going to look in Atlanta, LA, Australia, shit. And if we feel like you're good for it, we'll send it to you. So they, we have, we have an understanding of, and I also have flight benefits. Like I said, both my grandmothers worked for United. So I can fly, like literally if they texted me today and was like being in Chicago, not only do I have a free flight, but I got somewhere to stay. I'll stay with my grandma. I don't have to pay for it. So I'm, it's truly a blessing. God really has worked in my life. Um, 
And, you know, um, moving on to this next chapter, like that's something that I think I, like I said, I love traveling. I don't mind. I love the plane. I will hop on, hop off. I will, I'll do it. Um, so they're open to that. They love that. I love that. Um, so I'm excited to see where it goes. That's fantastic. It's really so lovely to talk to somebody who's right in the thick of it and your energy is infectious. And I have no doubt that you have so much to offer the world. Where can people find you? Absolutely. They can follow me on Instagram at Justin, J-U-S-S-T-E-N, as well as my YouTube, uh, Justin Ross, J-U-S-T-E-N-R-O-S-S. But truly, Instagram is the best way. If you go to Instagram, there's a link in my bio. There's a link tree to all my content, all of my Apple Music stuff, all my Spotify stuff. Thank you so much for doing this. It's fantastic. If you liked what you heard today, please give us a positive five-star review and subscribe and tell your friends. I Survived Theater School is an Undeniable Inc. production. Jen Bosworth Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. For more information about this podcast or other goings-on of Undeniable Inc., please visit our website at undeniablewriters.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you.